So this bolt of lightning shot across the universe and inspired me with the idea that we have to do a podcast. And that's what I wanted to tell you. We should do a podcast. Okay, bye. I went. All right, I went. Welcome to Feature Creep, <laughs> colon. Built-in microphone. <laughs> microphone. I just looked at my microphone when I said that, and I'm like, there's my microphone. Microwave. It's a microwave. It's, it's a, a micro- built-in microwave. Yes, Nobody's exactly. ever heard of a built-in microphone. Oh, well, I guess computers have built-in microphones. Sure. I'm wrong all yes. over today. <laughs> I guess that's actually... I wonder if maybe we should change our, our opening segment to just like a built-in whatever, like every time. <laughs> Yes, we'll feature creep even that aspect of this. Yes, let's just feature creep everything. Um, Perfect. Yeah, welcome to our podcast. Uh, really quick, uh, the front matter is you can you can email us. You can email Dana, our CEO and co-founder, or sorry, and founder. Founder, um, yeah, we, we're just along for the ride. Yeah, her email is D- Dana, D-A-N-A at fcbm.io. You can also go to our website, fcbm.io, and find more direct contact information if you want to get a hold of Meg or I, Ned. Um, Ned is I, I Ned. Uh, <laughs> I Ned, that yeah. would be a good, that can be your memoir title. I Ned, yeah, that's great. I'm writing that down. Um, so, uh, yeah, what is the, oh, so playing cards. We're going to talk about playing cards. And yes. um, art and design is ostensibly what this podcast is about. Uh, if you read any of our taglines or whatever errata that's on the internet, we probably will, um, or you'll figure it out really quickly. Sometimes you just want to listen to people get off topic as quickly as possible. That's right. So, that's what we're here for. Yeah, that is what we're here for. So, um, yeah, I we actually were. This is the second take because we were. Uh, <laughs> one of us forgot to hit record correctly or was recording from the wrong source, and so <laughs> so it um, was just me talking to myself yeah, for a it was while just there. Talk to herself, yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, we were actually. How did we get on the topic? Oh. The thing about podcasts that yeah. I like is that right. we have this control over our media. Like you're listening to this, potentially you're listening to it through iTunes or Google Podcast or um, Stitcher or uh, Spotify or any of the other many like aggregators of podcasts. Mm-hmm. Or like some of you may be listening directly from our feed on our website. And that's that's the key. Like you, Like we can't be we're not beholden to nor are we under the restriction of some third party um obviously laws within the country that we live in and and various other things that regulate the internet but um for the most part we can say what we want we can post our information the way we like to we can we are kind of percent control of the content and the you know and really have very little outside external influence especially because we're not being paid for any of this so right um, and i really like that and i think about it a lot in terms of how other media platforms where people generate their own content like Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Mm -hmm. um, Twitch, these other streaming sites where you're, you're leaning through a service that, that has a largely an influence on the content that you can create, how you serve that content, who gets to see it, um, lots of these things. And, and in return, oftentimes there's a monetary gain, but, um, I think about that a lot, the way that podcasts like found their way into this little niche where they're hugely popular. Lots of people listen to them, lots of different podcasts. There's lots of content out there. And I think it's very interesting how um, it's, it's managed to avoid a lot of the gatekeeping that typically happens. Um, Yes. Now, video content is infinitely more complex than audio content in and of itself. It doesn't have to be, but um, it's a huge, it's a lot more data. um, Yeah. To, so like, it's very reasonable for us to have our own server and serve up our audio data the way that we do. Um, We've produced hours and hours and hours of data and we have not reached our, like, you know, I think we pay like five or $10 a month for this like shared server somewhere, this private server that, you know, that we set up. And so Mm -hmm. um, I I find it very interesting. Whereas like if we were serving video data, just storing the data alone would become this huge problem and then actually serving it up is like it's a it's infinitely more expensive from a hardware perspective yeah um, to transport (coughs) that data which is why why companies like youtube and um 
and Twitch and various other media streaming services like are able to kind of continue to play gatekeeper. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I think about it. I just think about how, um, you know. Right. Yeah. And we were when we were talking about this the first time around, I was yeah. mentioning how like there's like there's all of this uh, uh, hype about f- coming from certain sectors yeah uh about like web three being the um like the new internet the democratized internet like mm-hmm. the meta space the like the like whatever metaverse and uh, like uh, those people are just trying to sell something to you like yep. it's not democratic and uh, i think we were talking or i brought up how like demo being democratic about the internet is a double-edged sword because <clears throat> if you lower the bar to inclusion anybody can post anything yep you get a lot of weird shit and if you raise the bar to inclusion so that you're not getting all of that weird shit or things that you find objectionable or people get taking advantage of other people whatever yeah bad behavior um what you risk is having to enforce that with gatekeepers and then who's going to be the gatekeeper well right now web3 is all gatekept they're saying like oh it's going to be this democratic internet democratizing the internet you're going to own your own part of the internet but for you to buy a portion of the internet from someone else it means they already owned it first so there's already a gatekeeper there and they've already staked a claim whatever space they're quote unquote saying you can have a democratic piece of was created by them and, the, and controlled by them for that reason. We right. also own a space. Our space is right here. You're listening to it. And yep. a portion of it lives on the server that we have. And we don't have to pay anybody to access that. That's already right. ours. Yeah. Like we could become the gatekeeper and charge other people just like, you know, uh, Instagram's gatekeeper for whatever post you post you want to post on there. Right. Like y- if you are, if you are having to ask permission or buy permission to access a space, then it's already gatekept. It's not democratic and you are the product. Right. Yeah. You're it. Like you're what they're buying and selling is your, your, your participation is what they're buying and selling and making money off of. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's, that's, but we're doing it right. Yeah, but we're doing it right. Yeah. I mean, it's, we're doing it less. Um, <laughs> yeah, like I mean the you know if you're if you're listening the, to this through iTunes or any other third party um, aggregator, then then you are the product to them, and as we yep. as are we, um, right? And if you listen to our podcast directly through our website, you minimize that. But I believe um, currently we're using Google Analytics, and this would make an argument for us to like turn that off. Um, yeah, that just kind of helps us understand like <clears throat> traffic flow and stuff. Yeah, like that. it just gives us a sense of like, is anybody listening at all? Which is mostly just sort of a vanity project at this point for us. Like, we don't really, um, we don't do anything with that. We don't. No, I mean, it's just mostly we're just like we look at it and we're like, hey, we just had like 200 listeners this month, or um, oh, this podcast episode was really popular. That's interesting. I wonder why. Right. Um, but we don't know any but anything about anyone who's listening, or like if somebody listened multiple times, or like, do we know that? No, we, we get know? a little bit of demographic data, but have I have two. Our numbers are too low to really. Our numbers are too low. Well, our numbers <laughs> are high enough now to get that data, but we oh, okay. I have that turned off for the most part. I think we don't really care. No, I think we can kind of see like roughly like what countries people are, are calling or, you know, listening mm. from. And then also mm-hmm. sometimes it tells us age groups. I don't actually I haven't looked at it in a long time. I don't know. I don't think it I don't think we even get any of that because we're we not have no idea who you people are. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, unless we you know, tell us. Yeah. Unless you tell us, which again, like if you want to email us, we'd love to hear right. from you. Um, and yes. also you know participate because this is a good time in this podcast where it's like we have a small listener base of about 200 people roughly every month Mm -hmm. and then we've got um you know like you could talk to us if you wanted to and you could like you know we're gonna write back to you because we get you know very few emails like we just get a few every couple weeks or so um which is great because everybody who does write in like they've thought a lot about what they have to say and um and i i enjoy that a lot so me too yeah um Anyway, so card card games, art and design, woo! That because that's absolutely one hundred percent the only thing we ever talk about on this podcast, um, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so always and forever and for only. Yeah. So there's uh, hopefully some of you who are listening are very familiar with um, with sort of the standard playing like Western card deck. Um, I think I can't remember if I already said, but we um, you know fifty two cards typically for suits. Uh, diamonds hearts clubs and spades 
and then um, you've got your your numbered cards one through ten, and then your face cards, um, or sorry, your numbered cards two through ten, or ace two through ten, and then you've got your face cards, which are jack, queen, king, and ace, depending on which which side and the which ruling end? of the game, which end of the which end of that that counting loop those go yeah. through. Um, so uh, there are quite a variety of different games that are played with this deck, uh, which I think makes it very interesting why it's and probably why it's stuck around for so long um there, how, how long uh let's see how so how long has it been around um let's have a look and see so um the oldest surviving reference to the card to to the card game in world history is from the ninth century china um oh so uh I'm just kind of skimming through. So a lot of this we're going to take from Wikipedia uh, as of March 11th, 2022. So this is from the um, card game entry. And um, card games first <clears throat> appear, or playing cards first appeared in Europe in the last quarter of the 14th century. Um, okay. The earliest European reference speaks of uh, uh, of a Moorish game called Naib, N-A-I-B, and mm. in fact, an almost complete Mamluk Egyptian deck of 52 cards in a distinct Oriental design has survived from around the same time. With the sore, f- oh. with the four, with the sore, with the four suits, swords, polo sticks, cups, and coins, and the ranks king, governor, second governor, and ten to one. Interesting. Yeah. Um, the 1430s in Italy saw the invention of the tarot deck. Tarot, 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 tarot. A full Latin. I've always, I've always heard it pronounced tarot. I yeah, same. Yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's right. Tarot. Um, a full Latin suited deck, augmented by suitless cards with painted motifs that played a special role as trumps. The tarot card mm. games are still played with subsets of these decks in parts of Central Europe. A full tarot deck contains 14 cards cards in each suit low cards labeled one through ten and court cards um having the valet or jack uh chevalier cavalier or knight the dame or queen and roy king roi plus Mm -hmm. the fool or excuse card and 21 trump cards um so yeah i mean there and if you're not familiar with, with playing cards at all um i highly recommend you have a look at them because they're fairly iconic at this point in much of western culture um yes they show up all over the place yeah they do they show up all over the place um they've even migrated like they're not just about playing cards anymore like magicians use them constantly yes right yeah yeah they're they're definitely um yeah and and the the variation and number of games are just amazing. So um, I think one of the more popular kinds of games are trick taking games. So um, yeah, those are like trick taking games are where you have to like bet on outcomes and then you get to keep the results of the outcome if you were right, sort of. Yeah, and the way trick taking games work, the play portion of it is oftentimes um, basically your you there are restrictions on what cards you can play on your turn and you take turns usually like if you're playing with four people for instance oftentimes play goes to the left in western cards but i think i think in Mm -hmm. eastern card games um it goes to the right i'm not sure i think there are some i think maybe chinese or some euro asia games potentially have this other like other convention of starting off to the right but anyway sure um play goes to the left of the dealer so one person shuffles and and shells out the cards to everybody and then um in trick-taking games typically um the basic the premise of the game is that um there's restrictions on what what cards you're allowed to play when it's your turn and the goal Mm -hmm. is to play like the highest card um, so that at the end of end of the round, when any, everybody's played their cards, if you played the highest card, then you you take the trick, um, and then and then like so spades and hearts, uh, bridge, whist, these kind of uh, euchre. These games have uh-huh. um, have these other mechanics that influence like what cards are considered a high card, and so oftentimes the strategy in these games is is a, 
a certain level of card counting in the sense that you want to be familiar. Ah. Like you're trying you to keep, keep track of which, yeah, what like card what, is where. Right, exactly. Like what was played and what are the odds that someone has a certain card in their hand so you can decide whether you want to hold on to your higher cards for later rounds or whether you need to, you know, like there's strategy there. Um, and then scoring is oftentimes like some games it's about not taking tricks or taking the fewest tricks. Some games it's about taking the most tricks. Sometimes it's about taking certain <laughs> kinds of tricks. Like there's various rules. Um, and so, uh, uh, yeah, so trick taking games are, are, I think pretty popular. They can move pretty quickly. Um, another one that people are probably more familiar with or are also familiar with are matching games like the simplest mm -hmm. the simplest games being something like go fish or old maid um with pretty simple sure. rules um but uh the more complicated ones like rummy um i like rummy yeah yeah rummy is rummy is really fun um i once you start to understand the like rules of the game like <clears throat> it's i think it's relatively easy to become strategic at it Yes. Yeah. And, and so rummy like games or these sort of meld games, these, these ideas of making melds, um, uh, has, can have similar strategy to trick taking in the sense that it, a lot of these are about keeping, paying attention to what cards have been played, what cards are potentially in play and mm -hmm. developing strategy around how you're going to make your points based on the rules of the game. So, um, there's also, uh, there's um there's shedding games so in shedding, shedding yeah games. so in shedding games players start with a hand of cards and the object is to be the the first player to discard all the cards from one's hand aha so, so you, in yeah and you don't want to acquire them you want to get rid of them in some like yes systematic fashion yeah so um a game like this that people are probably really familiar with is crazy eights although most people probably have played uno at this point so uno has like a lot more cards and there's there's more specialty cards so it doesn't use yeah. like a standard deck but um crazy eights does and that's a similar concept of like you want to be the first person to go out or to you know play all of your gotcha. cards um there's uh there's also um, catch and collect games, um, which is to the goal is to kind of acquire all of the cards in a deck. So um, most war type games, if you ever played war. Um, are, yes, I'm are not a fan idea. of that game. No, because there's not a lot of strategy to it. It feels very um, you don't have much choice, right? It's just sort of like, yeah. what do you have in your deck? And, and you kind of played out. But I think there are. Probably, feels arbitrary. Yeah, there's probably. um there's probably variations on it that are a little more nuanced that that introduce more decision and interest um, rather than mm -hmm. just directly random. Um, there's uh, fishing games. Um, in fishing games, cards from hand are played against cards in a layout on the table, capture, capturing table cards if they match. Um, so uh, let's see. Um, so there's, I really... Yeah would like to learn how to play bridge. Do you know anyone who plays bridge? I do not. Um, I, no, I do know somebody who plays bridge. I have never played bridge with them. I played bridge one time with my grandmother, I think, but I was, I think I, I was too young to like really get that it, it, you know, it might be worth investing more time in. Um, mm -hmm. but now that I'm older, I, I get how some of these games are more, more interesting. Um, yeah, there's, con <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, there's comparing games. So uh, comparing games are those where hand values are compared to determine the winner, also known as vying or uh, showdown games. So poker, uh, blackjack, baccarat are examples of comparing card, ga card games. Do we? Uh, do you know how baccarat is played? Um, baccarat, baccarat, baccarat. I think uh, baccarat. Um, I don't know that much about it. Um, it's a it is a card compare or it's a comparing card game played between two hands, the player yeah. and the banker. Three possible outcomes. Well, I don't understand that at all. Never mind. Um, <laughs> I have like a weirdly steep learning curve with card games for some reason. I I totally get that. I think um, there's something about the way. Uh, the cards are sort of generic and then shoved into lots of different rules where it's like the rules you have to, you have mm -hmm. to onboard the rules um, and nothing about the cards like right. necessarily like indicates that. Like, yes, I, I was learning to play Euchre for the first time this last weekend uh, and it, it's really fun. But um, one aspect of that game is that uh, it's a trick 
it's a trick-taking game so in trick-taking games typically there's some suit or usually some suit gets selected as the trump suit and so it has particular rules about how it's being played but typically in trick-taking games someone leads the play which means they determine what suit everyone has to play and so you can't play outside of that Ah. suit unless you don't have the suit and then there are rules about how you can play and so like a trump card would you can play that but one of the things about that game is that the jacks are often referred to as the bower are the actually the highest card and there are two so when a suit for instance hearts is selected as trump suit the other red jack in this case diamonds is also a trump card and so mostly the play goes as normal if somebody plays a diamond you have to play diamonds except that jack doesn't count as a diamond anymore it's a heart and so you don't have to play it but if somebody plays hearts the trump suit and all you have is that jack of diamonds you better remember to fucking play it even though the (laughs) and so once you play a few rounds like it it becomes it it kind of clicks and you're like oh right yeah the same color that's the the jacks are special but Mm -hmm. it still caught me out after several hours of play occasionally i'd be like oh fuck right i gotta play this other card um but uh yeah and so that's why like i think there's a certain kind of um some card games can feel complicated because of the way the rules work and and it's hard to like you know have them kind of locked in um yeah but i remember there was this card game that somebody taught me like it was a party game um you'd play it with a large group of people and uh it had these weird rules that like if you were new to the game nobody would teach you the rules you just had to start playing and it would occur to you and the fact that you didn't know what the rules were were actually incorporated into the the act- the play of the game the way the game progressed and so um it would change outcomes for other people in the game whether you understood or didn't understand what was going on um and it was really fun and it was always fun to bring new people in on the game who hadn't played it before because then you get to like play around them as they figure out silently what the rules are and i think actually the game i think you're not allowed to speak while you're playing it so it's like really observational i'm trying to google it and see if it's on here anywhere and i'm not finding it so i don't know if it was just the name that somebody i know gave to the card game they called it rollerblade but i don't know why they called it that (laughs) and i'm not seeing anything online about any card games named rollerblade Mm. so it was really interesting, like, if a two came up, it meant you would switch the direction from either clockwise to counterclockwise or mm-hmm. vice versa, depending on what direction you were already going in the gameplay. Uh-huh. And so twos were these weird wild cards that you could play deliberately to make the game direction shift on someone if you wanted to be strategic about it. Right. But it was very confusing at first because you're like, why did we all of a sudden just switch directions? Right, right. And so it was like, it's kind of fun. Like, it's not meant to be like malicious, I don't think. It's just another mechanic of the gameplay that, like, all of a sudden there's somebody who is thrown into it who doesn't, they're not going to make rational decisions. Right, right. And yeah. so it, 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 like, affects everybody else's ability to strategize around how to play the game when somebody's making decisions that don't fall into any kind of pattern thinking right right. yes (laughs) um it was a fun game i wish i could remember how to play it or like what the actual rules of it were i just remember that twos would switch the direction that the game Hmm. well if you're listening and you know this game we would love to yes if you know this game write to us and tell us yeah because i want to play it again um well, so there are. Let's get. Let's keep going through the list and see. Yeah. Um, so we talked about comparing games like poker yep. and blackjack. Uh, there are solitaire or patience games. So solitaire games are designed to be played by one player. Most games design, or sorry, most games begin with specific layout of cards called a tableau, and the object is then either to construct or more elaborate final layout. Uh, construct mm. a more la- a more elaborate final layout, or to clear the tableau and or the draw pile or stock by moving all cards in one or more discard or foundation piles. Um, ah. Yeah, so I uh, I've played a lot of um, free sell. Oh, I have never played that. Um, I it was one of the like in the early Windows. Um, it was one of the free solitaire games and. The interesting thing about free sell is that all cards are played are laid out and so um you like there's well like like all, like most solitaire like all cards are in play but um in free sell you have you have 
uh, four free spaces, and then you have four stacks that have to be played in order. So you play like ace through king, right? And so the goal is to pile up those stacks in order, like all your ace, you know, all your spades, all of your diamonds, all of your clubs, all of your hearts. Um, Yep. And then you have these four free cells where you can place cards in the cell um, as a play, like uh, to take them out of play. And then you have, I think it's like seven columns where the cards are stacked on top of each other. But you can oh, see, you can see all of the cards in the columns. So the columns are sort of like laid out so you can see them. But the ones that are, the ones that are underneath them, you can't touch until you've, until they come up or whatever, until, they until, come up, until they're on the top. But there are rules yeah. about moving columns where um, if the columns can alternate in order and color. So, you can play on a column. So if there's like a five of diamonds on the top of one column, you could put a four of clubs on top of that one. Aha, because um, the numbers. Yeah, so you can go down in order on the column because of the number, but they have to alternate suits. So you can't put mm-hmm. um, you can't put a red on a red, I don't think. Or maybe it's the other way around. Maybe they have to be the same suit. I think, that makes I sense. I think it's alternate suit. But anyway, um, yeah. there's some rules. It's been a long time. But then you can move. So you can, it's, it's this game of like, it's this weird puzzle and, and the interesting thing about it is like I don't know how many how many actual versions there are that are like how many different iterations you can play with the standard deck, um, mm-hmm. but there's some large number. But you can in theory play all of them, and Whoa. some of them are unsolvable, and most of them are. I think that's right. There's some somebody worked out the math on it, but it's an interesting. Oh, God. Yeah. Um, anyway, solitaire games. There's so drinking card games. Um, I, I think this is kind of a funny category because yes. it's it's more of like on top of the game mechanics a little bit, which is, you know, drinking card games or drinking games using cards in which the object the object in playing the game is either to drink or to force others to drink. Um, many games are simply ordinary card games with the establishment of drinking rules. Um, but there are, um, and I think that's why this is kind of a weird entry because it's, it's oftentimes just like an adjunct rule of like, hey, we're going to play hearts, but you have to take shots when. X yeah, happens I was or I was like, uh, like, as they point out here, president is virtually identical to Daihimin, which is a Japanese game, apparently, oh. um, with additional rules for governing drinking. So it's it's I, I think all drink. My hypothesis is that all drinking games are actually just an established card game with some drinking rule added to it. Right. Yes. Yeah. I, I've often felt like any drinking game that doesn't basically make everybody sort of relatively drink at the same rate is just kind of a loss because like, I don't know about you, but typically the only time you're having fun with other drunk people is if you're also drunk. Um, Right. No, I can't. It's not a, it's not a, it can't, it can't be like, (laughs) <laughs> there has to be a balance there yes yeah like, <laughs> i'm struggling to find words to describe what i'm feeling right now hell no i'm not going in there sober right like i i feel like um i can't think of a time in my life even in college when i had um or you know not college or just when i was young when i had like a lot of free time where i would want to have an evening or a day where some group of friends where someone or some portion of them get way more drunk than the rest of us mm-hmm. by by chance like <laughs> by chance you know like it's kind of it's like i i don't it doesn't i don't i don't know anyway yeah. um yeah yeah like drinking games are fun in the social aspect of like we're going to drink and play games and i you know this weekend i would argue i was playing a drinking game because we were having cocktails while we were playing euchre and yeah. um and it was pretty funny because we were sitting at this table and and we're just kind of drinking and there were lots of other people um other people at the party and so people kept kind of bringing us drinks when we needed to or when when we were empty and so yeah. we always just had like really nice cocktails and so we we're just drinking and playing and then at one point like i got really sucked into the game and then hours later i stand up and i was like oh fuck i'm way more drunk than i thought i was oh like i mean i you know i wasn't like falling down but i might have fallen over if i wasn't you know if i was a little yeah. more drunk or it was a little later in the day or something i don't know um but it was just very funny uh but we all were and it was um but it's fun it, anyway i mean i i get i get i get the appeal of drinking games or like you yeah. know alcohol and mixed with card I've, games i played presidents and assholes or that president game i mean that was yeah all, all right i guess i don't yeah. know yeah, I mean, I, I, I like most of these things. Like the company makes things so much better or worse. 
Yeah, there's a there was a game that we played at our friend's house uh, called, I think it was called Pass Out. Yeah, and it's like it's kind of like Monopoly, which we were just talking about. Yes, in our previous um, episode. In that the board, the like layout of the board is very similar to the layout of Monopoly, but every time you land on a space, there's like some associated task or like like feat of strength that you have to <laughs> perform essentially, uh-huh. but through like an alcohol induced haze. So it's a drinking game and they're like drinking shots or whatever is built in the, to the mechanic of the game. And then every once in a while, like if you landed on a ch- what would be equivalent to like a chance or a community chess space, yeah. you would have to perform this like activity. And if you huh. fumbled over it because of how drunk you were, you wouldn't get the points. And I was just like a fucking master at this game. That's awesome. Like they yeah. would give you like these crazy tongue twisters and things that you would have to like say. And you, I think you'd get like two chances or something like that to say it. So yeah. if you screwed it up once, you could try again. But you also can't go very slow. Like you have to proceed at the normal pace of things. Right, and so it's like right. this weirdly challenging game that I'm sure just really basically encourages alcoholism right, right. like yes. get good at it to win yeah you know uh-huh. Like, uh-huh. i i always find challenges like that um funny how i never know like how i'm gonna do like i might be in the right mindset or the right state like frame of like being where it's like i'll just say whatever they tell me it and yeah. i'll just repeat it without overthinking it and like overworking my like i'm not stumbling over my words or anything or i'll have days like yesterday when we were recording the podcast yeah. and i feel like every five minutes i'd make like a, a portmanteau of like two words like accidentally <laughs> by just like you know stumbling over like what my yeah. eyes were reading versus what my mouth was trying to say um yeah. I've ever since I was ever since I learned about like the increased risk of dementia after certain types of herpes zoster or shingles oh, infection. God. Yes. I've been like, oh, my God, this explains so much. <laughs> like every time, right? like one thing that happens is whenever I make breakfast sandwiches, I like the second stage of making the breakfast sandwich, you turn the heat basically all the way down. Uh-huh. And um and I'll make the sandwiches and then I will like put them together and assemble them, forgetting that I have turned the burner all the way, but not completely off. off right. Like, all so the way down, still, but yeah. not like clicked off. And so like uh, yesterday uh-huh. at like one in the fucking afternoon, I was standing in my kitchen uh-huh. with my back to the stove and I heard like the sound of the of the gas like. Oh, just a little bit because uh-huh. there was like a breeze in the kitchen and I was like, what the fuck is that sound? And I turned around. And I'm like, oh, God, the burn is so <laughs> There's that dementia again from my shingles. Uh-huh. <laughs> or like I fumble over words or something when I'm reading sometimes too or whatever. Just like normal shit that I'm sure isn't happening any more regularly than it ever used to. But I'm just like, God, there it is. I'm dying. I'm dying of dementia and I'm only 42. That's so funny. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, it's hilarious. Your dementia is hilarious to me. It's super funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're um, going crazy slowly, but very early is adorable. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, all right. I don't, for the record, I don't think I actually have no, I, a medical I, diagnosis. I, yeah. I think that like people who are as young as me, when they get herpes zoster ophthalmicus, they do, we're not actually in a risk category because our bodies can still clear out all of the tau proteins and the amyloid plaques that it creates. And mm-hmm. we can just like, we don't have that problem, but right. like elderly people can't keep up with the increase in those types of proteins building up in their brain when they have this infection. And that's why they get dementia. Right. And so like, I, I don't, I, I'm not even in a risk category for that really it doesn't right, count because right. i was so young when i got it thank god right <laughs> <laughs> can you imagine oh Jesus god Christ. yeah um, uh, anyway anyway uh so drinking card games i'm sure yeah. many people are interested uh are, are familiar with that um i that would be interesting if you uh if you're listening to this and you want to write in uh again dana d-a-n-a at fcbm.io if you have a drinking card game that you or any card game any that card you game. feel is yeah. regional or whatever, like we'd love to talk about it. Um, yes. And give us your variations. You. Yeah. Your give themes. us your variation. Like we'll, we'll be happy to talk about it. Um, I mean, fuck or come on the show. Like we can make that happen yeah. if you're interested, but also feel free to email us and don't worry. We're not going to put you on air without your permission, nor are we even going to talk about it without, you know, explicit, no permission from you that it's like yes like we should talk a about huge this. conversation beforehand yeah yeah um an onerous like soul-crushing conversation <laughs> no <laughs> i just trust us, like it's a, a hurdle it's just it's a hurdle yeah um 
Uh, so then there's uh, multi-genre games. So many card games borrow elements from more than one type. Uh, yeah, that's really interesting to me. Like, I don't think I know any of these well, multi-genre games. I mean, Go Fish is technically um, both a shedding game and a parent, or a shedding game and oh, a matching game. Oh, 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 I see. Yeah, like Old Maid, etc. So, so they kind of, you know, this article roughly breaks things down into like component mechanics of gameplay, and then, uh, you know, I would argue many card games are probably at least partially multi-genre. Um, there's you know trick and meld games such as Pinochle, um, mm-hmm. and then there's uh, also other multi-stage games. So um, I don't know Poke, Gleek, Skit Gooby, and Tichu. I don't know any of these games. Yeah, Poke um, is like uh, I'm not sure what Poke is, but Gleek is something that was popular like in the 1500s. Oh yeah, it's like. <laughs> just beyond the middle ages or something right right interesting um uh, and then skit gooby or skit it's this i bet it's skit gooby because it's a swedish card oh game. yeah yeah um so i'm guessing at the pronunciation but, so um it's, it's a version of war multiplayer war oh and then yeah. this, it's in two phases so the first phase is a multiplayer version of war the second phase is a rummy game where you attempt to shed the cards. Oh, I should um, I should tell my friend about this because I think I mentioned in the previous podcast we were kind of working on a card game or trying to kind of yeah. come up with a card game. And the game that we... Uh, one of the things we were kind of like circling around is the idea of like multiple phases where there's a trick-taking phase, which is where you accumulate certain cards as a way to distribute and compete for cards of value that you want to accomplish your goals. And then a sort of card playing phase where you're now playing those cards in a different context um mm-hmm. so Got it. which it sounds like it sounds like what that game is or at least some aspect of it um so then we get to collectible card games so these typically don't use a traditional like 52 card playing playing card deck um right like uh, magic the gathering yeah magic the gathering uh pokemon Yu-Gi-Oh. um and these games are uh really interesting i played magic the gathering quite a bit when i was younger um mm-hmm. and i am familiar with pokemon and i'm also familiar with Yu-Gi-Oh. uh and these games if you're not familiar at all with these games usually the way it works is you build your own deck um and the rules of play are are usually more complicated and each card oftentimes fits into a particular kind of gat- category like maybe it's like ah. you know either an attack card like some kind of monster or hero card or um and typically you play these games are oftentimes like kind of a strategy game where you play with two or more players. So I think uh, Magic the Gathering, typically you play an opponent and there are rules about um, as you draw cards in your hand, like which cards you can play and there's different kinds and um, and you're establishing sort of your your battlefront by playing monsters and playing support cards and resource cards and then you have these phases of play where it's like a draw phase where you get more more cards from your deck and then there's a you know a phase where you lay down your cards and then there's a phase where you uh-huh. can you can activate the cards that you have in front of you um and some nice. cards have special rules um so yeah <laughs> oh god the rules <laughs> yeah oh god the rules so collectible card games are interesting like that um i think one of for the first time I played Flux F L U X X. Yes. Um, and this the version I played was the Batman version. And um I I feel like that is one of the greatest sort of takes on the collectible card game because it's not exactly a collectible card game where one has to have their own deck that then plays against somebody else. Mm-hmm. You're all playing from the same deck, but it has a lot of the flavor of these collectible card games yeah. where you're all drawing from the same resource, but you have a lot of control over the rules of play because the the great thing about Flux is there's really only two rules. There's The two rules are one is you draw a card and two is you play a card. And mm-hmm. then other cards modify and build on those rules. Like some cards will say, no, now you have to draw two cards and other cards will right. say, now you have to play three cards. And the, um, it's, it's, it's helpful the first time you play that game to play with someone who's familiar with like how it works because yes. otherwise you're like, now wait a minute now, what am I supposed to be doing now? Like I keep yes. forgetting to check all of the things and dot all of the yeah, and I love I love the um I was kind of having a skim through the rules at least the one I had access to and um it was like one of the things I think I remember seeing in there was like if there's any dispute argue about it. 
<laughs> like it's just kind of great. It's like it's like you're going to anyway. Like let's just own own it up and just be like just fucking argue about it. If there's a yes. dispute about how the what the rules mean, let's fucking have an argument. Um <laughs> That's so great. I yeah. love the encouraging of like rancor. <laughs> yeah. So needless to say, uh, this is a game, a good game to play with certain great friends who you know that you could have a decent argument with and walk away both pleased about it um, yes. or able to like separate from your, you know, but also this could be a really bad game um, depending <laughs> on, you know, how you feel about and work with certain people. Um, yeah. <laughs> all right. So more kinds of card games. So ga- casino or gambling card games. Uh which we kind of talked about um they're yeah. basically these game these games basically revolve around wagers of money um obviously overlap with some like comparing games where we talked about poker and blackjack being a part of comparing games and those both being very popular gambling card games so um i don't think we need to like get too into that um yeah i, I find gambling gambling is not that interesting to me i mean there's there's statistics which is interesting but i find most kinds of poker games um if you've ever if you've ever played poker if you like poker you probably like to gamble like you there needs to be there needs to be a resource that is exchanged in Mm. order for it to be meaningful like i Mm -hmm. i remember when i was a kid we'd play poker a little bit because we just you know it was like oh we want to learn about this game and it's got all the mystery of gambling and stuff but we didn't (laughs) um it it becomes really obvious that uh most gambling games have a large amount of um chance yeah otherwise it's not a gambling game because you're not um you you need you need that equalizer right yes um, yeah you uh, yes that's right i was gonna say something else but i realized you just said it perfect yeah. so i'm not gonna say anything All right, else. Yeah. <laughs> um okay and then there's the uh i love this the the final two categories um there's other card games, the other category. You always <laughs> other. need these. On, you always need these on these comprehensive lists, right? Because you need something yeah. that's like, well, what about? Well, we'll put it in other for now until we can figure out where it goes. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, according to this uh, Wikipedia entry, many other card games have been designed and published on a commercial or amateur basis. In some cases, the games use uh, the standard 52 card deck, but the subject, but the object is unique. Um, there's a game called Ulysses. For example, players play mm-hmm. single cards and are told whether the play was legal or illegal in an attempt to discover the underlying rules made up by the dealer. That's interesting. That sounds like the game that I played. Oh, really? Yeah. That rollerblade game or whatever. Yeah. So in that the fo- in that the focus of both of Elusis and the rollerblade, whatever that was, is to try and get someone to figure out through playing the game what the rules of the game are without actually telling them interesting so um so ulysses is strictly or mostly a shedding type card game but it has this extra um element where uh one player chooses a secret rule to determine which card can Mm -hmm. be played on top of others um Mm -hmm. and then the other players attempt to determine the rule using inductive (laughs) logic that sounds pretty fun um yeah so uh so um most of the other type games, however, typically use a special made deck of cards designed specifically for the game or variation of it. So like Flux, for instance, would probably fall into this category. Um, the decks are thus usually proprietary, but may be created by the game's players. Uno is kind of an example. Phase 10 yeah. set. Um, 1,000 blank white cards sounds really interesting to me. It does sound really interesting. Um it's a party game played with cards in which the deck is created as part of the game. Yeah. Doesn't that um, sound fun? Yeah, it does. Uh, oh, we should. A we thousand should. blank white cards. So the game consists of whatever the players define it as by creating and playing things. There are no initial rules. And while there may be conventions among certain groups of players, it is in the spirit of the game to sp- to spite and denounce these conventions as well as to <laughs> adhere to them religiously. Interesting. <laughs> I love I love everything about this. I, I do too. Yeah, like um I love hypocrisy in all its <laughs> forms or I mean I you know, I have complicated I love- emotions about hypocrisy obviously but i i love I, gamified hypocrisy oh absolutely so we're like um, you're in a liminal space where it's okay to be as ruthless and hypocritical as possible yes, because that's right? the object of the yeah. game this rule applies to you not to me 
Right. Do as I say, not as I do. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so a deck of cards consists of any number of cards, generally of a uniform size and rigid enough paper stock that they may be reused. Um, some may bear artwork, writing, or other game-relevant content created during past games with a reasonable stock of cards that are blank at the start of gameplay. Okay. Uh, sometime may be taken to create cards before gameplay commences, although card creation may be more dynamic if no advanced preparation is made, and it is suggested that the game be simply sprung upon a group of players who may or may <laughs> not have any idea what they are being t- caught up in. Love Ambush. this. Yeah. If the game has been played before, all past cards can be used in gameplay unless the game specifies otherwise, um, but perhaps not until the game has allowed them into play. I see. Um, okay. Yeah. A typical group groups conventions for deck creation below so here's um here's three paragraphs that i'll try to breeze through quickly uh though cards are created at all times throughout the game except the epilogue it is necessary to start with an at least some cards pre-made despite the name of the game a deck of 80 to 150 cards as usual depending on the desire desired duration of the game and of these approximately half will be created before the start of play okay Um, so you start out with somewhere between 40 and 75 cards that are already like yeah it sounds like yes yeah yeah. um if a group doesn't already possess a partial deck they may choose to start with fewer cards and to create most of the deck during play whether or not the group possesses a deck already from previous games they will usually want to add a few more cards so the first phase of the game involves each player creating six or seven new cards to add to the deck see structure of a card below When the deck is ready, all of the cards, including blanks, are shuffled together and each player is dealt five cards. The remainder of the deck is placed in the center of the table. So, play. Um, The rules rules of the game... The rules of game... I think there needs to be some grammar corrections on this article. Um, Yeah, this is uh, the 1,000 blank white cards Wikipedia entry. Yes, uh, as of March 11th, 2022. Um, The rules of game are determined as the game is played. There exists no fixed order of play or limit to the length or scope of the game. Such parameters may be set within the game, but are, of course, subject to alteration. One sample mm. convention suggests the following. Play proceeds clockwise, beginning with the player on the dealer's left. On each player's turn, he, she draws a card from the central deck and then plays a card from his or her hand. So sort of draw one, play one. Cards okay. can be played to any player, including the person playing the card, or to the table so that it affects everyone. Cards with lasting effects, such as awarding points or changing the game's rules, are kept on the table to remind players of those effects. Cards with no lasting effects or cards that have been nullified are placed in a discard pile. Interesting. Blank cards can be made into playable cards at any time simply by drawing on them. See structure of a card. So we'll, I guess we'll get down to that. Um, mm-hmm. Play continues until there are no cards left in the central deck and no one can play. If there are no cards that can be played in the current situation, the winner is the player with the highest score of total points at the end of the game, though in some games points don't actually matter. Got wow. It. This is delightful. I love how all of the, like a bunch of things about this are just up for grabs. Like, well, you know, it's true unless it's not. Yeah. Um, so uh, there's an epilogue. So since the cards created in the game <laughs> may be used at the beginning of a deck for a future game, many players like to reduce the deck to a collection of their favorites. The epilogue is, the epilogue is simply an opportunity for the players to collectively decide which cards to keep and which to discard or set aside as not for play. Um, I love this idea. Yeah. Um, there's, there's also like... Uh, Winning conditions are real fungible, apparently. Like, uh, mm-hmm. I like the idea that many players believe that having their own cards favored during the epilogue is the true victory of the card right. game. Um, <laughs> Honor. Honor yeah. and glory are yeah. what matter here. Um, yeah. So, okay. So, structure of a card. This is this seems important. Um, at its but simplest, wait, you didn't, ta- you didn't say anything about the suck box. Oh, the suck box. Oh, my God. Tell me about the suck so, box. Yep. One group of players in Boston introduced the idea of a suck box, which is a box that they keep the cards in that they don't want to use, but they don't want to destroy either because they think it's mean to destroy cards or whatever. Yes. Yeah. So if there's a, if there's a note card that they think is kind of boring and useless to gameplay, they'll nominate it for admission to the suck box, it says here. All players then... Uh, present then vote sometimes lobbying for their cases and the card either goes into the suck box 
or gets to remain in the primary deck. Ironically, when the suck box was introduced, one player created a card for the express purpose of adding it to the suck box. (laughs) 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 However, the rest of us felt that it was too amusing a card and had to remain in the main deck. That's fantastic. I love that. I, I love that. Like, I love that the suck box adds this like, like hyper potentially hyper acrimonious political yes. element to this game i also love that i mean i i don't know the structure of a card yet but i imagine that if you had a suck box you could create cards that draw out of the suck box yes <laughs> i love this game i'm so glad we came across this yeah um all right so structure of a card here we go yeah, here at we its go. simplest a card is just that a physical card which may or may not have undergone any modifications okay. its role in the game is both as itself and as whatever information it carries which can be changed erased or amended the oh cards God. used very widely in size from from the original one and a half inch by three and a half inch viz ed brand flashcards. i totally are, know those flashcards. i've used them a million times yeah i don't know if i know those um, yeah, they're like they're also known as like like um, I don't know. They're like too small for recipes. Yeah, yeah. They're they're literal flashcards. It's just like yeah, you know, like, like one liner kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, right. So uh, or or you know, so various sizes from this rather small Viz Ed brand flashcards to mm-hmm. half or full index cards. Um, to simply a sheet of A7 size paper. Uh, yeah. So A7. Keep talking. I need to plug in my computer. Okay. So okay. Uh, A7 size is um, if you're not familiar with if you're yeah. if, if you're from the U.S. you're probably not as familiar with the A A size. Um, but A7 is essentially uh, three inches by four inches. Um, so uh, anyway, so basically note cards of some kind, basically blank playing cards of some some kind that you can get your hands on. Uh, cards may be created with any marking medium need uh, and need not to conform to any conventions of size or contest uh, or sorry, yeah. of size or content unless specified within the scope of the game. Uh, cards c- can have been made of a variety a wide range of substances and modifying the shape and composition of a card is entirely acceptable. The original Viz Ed box still contains a card created by Plan 9 from Bell Labs developer MicroTiv oh. um, to which a tablet of zinc has been affixed with adhesive tape. The card reads, eat this. Oh. In a few minutes, the zinc will be entering your system. <laughs> Many cards have been created which demand their own modification, destruction, or duplication. And many have been created which display nothing but a picture or text um, bearing no explicit significance whatsoever. Some have been eaten, burned, or cut and folded into other shapes. The game does not... The game does tend to fall into structural conventions of which the following is a good example. A card consists usually of a title, a picture, and a description of its effect. The title should uniquely identify the card the picture can be as simple as a stick figure or as complex as the player Mm. likes the description or rule is the part that affects the game it can award or deny points cause a player to miss a turn change the direction of play or do anything the player can think of the rules written on cards in play make up the majority of the game's total rule set in practice these conventions can generate rather monotonous decks of one panel cartoons being point values rules or both as conceived the game is far broader as it not inherently as it is not inherently uh, limited in length or scope is radically self-modifying and can contain references to or actual instances of other games or activities the game can also encode algorithms trivially functioning as turing machines store real world data and hold or refer to non-card objects. So, um, I this is really fascinating to me, and I yes. have no idea. Um, I did not. I didn't. I was not prepared for this amazing discovery. Yeah. Um, it was invented in 1995 by somebody named Nathan McQuillan in Madison, Wisconsin. Yeah. Um, inspired by seeing a product at a local coffee house, a box of a thousand. Vizet brand blank white flashcards. He introduced the game of a thousand blank white cards a few days later into a mixed group, including students, improvisational theater members, and club kids. Oh, fabulous. Yes. Yeah. Um, 
That's hilarious. So oh, and tragedy, like this game is steeped yes. in history. So he he creates it. So uh, Nathan McQuillan um, sees this box of a thousand Vized brand blank white flashcards right. in a local coffee house, and is like. A few days later, he's like, "Okay, everybody, the game of a thousand blank or a thousand blank white cards begins." And right. a f- uh, to a mixed group, including students, improvisational theater members, as you said, and club kids, and and so apparently, like the initial play was just very high energy. Everybody was having fun, and then tragedy: a fire consumes the regular venue shortly after the game's introduction. Like shortly after, like hours after, same yeah. week, like when? Yeah, and so, um, oh, like immediately after. Yeah, the game physically survived the fire, but the loss of the regular meeting place was the majority of the meant the original players fell out of contact with each other, and they basically like moved around or whatever. They were probably college kids or something, and they were going to a coffee house in Madison. Yes. And so the game starts to spread as a meme um, in oh the traditional God. sense of meme, like being kind of a, a mental gene um, yeah. or a thought gene uh, through various social networks, mostly co- collegiate. Um, in the late 1990s, Aaron Mandel, a former Madison resident, brought the game to Harvard University and started an, an active play group, which changed the size of the cards to the more standard half index dimension. Okay, so you could get an, a, a deck of index cards, the Vizet index cards, and just chop them in half, and then you'd have that's the size of the card. Yeah, yeah. Got it. Um, it's like a, it's almost like a little bit bigger, bigger than a business card. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Um, so then Boston players Dave Packer and Stuart King created the first web content representing the game. That's interesting. What does the footnote say on that? Is there a link to their web content? Um, Drawing a blank from games. So that must be... Uh, huh. Hmm. So then it spread to the West Coast and the Internet Games Magazine included a 2001 revision. Uh, let's see. Oh, of, of, oh, so Hoyle's a, Rules of Games, games. established the game as an independent part of gaming culture. Yeah. Amazing. Fuck. Various celebrities, including Ben Folds, Jonathan Brooke, and cartoonist Bill Plimpton. Bill Plimpton, I know. I mean, I, yeah. I know Ben Folds as well. I don't know Jonathan Brooks, but um, cartoonist Bill Plimpton is delightful. He does all of these weird, like animations in in pencil and like yes. pencil that involve yeah. like strange surreal things happening like people's heads prying open or flip top lid and then like other yep. things coming out and like just amazing strange. colored pencil animations so just, cool and very iconic like i speaking mm-hmm. of artists that like when you see the style of bill plimpton you're like that you will oh, never yeah. not see it again um, right i mean people might imitate it but it, it it is this just like uniquely like like iconic kind of animation um, yeah yeah, so uh, the game's inventor and its original players have frequently ex- expressed amusement at the spread of the game. They regarded mostly as a brilliant but highly idiosyncratic bit of conceptual humor, which provided them with an excuse to draw goofy cartoons. Mm-hmm. I love this. I love this game. I do too. This yeah. this is the best thing ever. So, and interestingly, so Flux F L U X X is mentioned as a C also. Um, and I can absolutely oh, see yes, how flux is sort of a, a sort of like a sort of structured constraint on the, the chaos that is a thousand blank white cards. Yes. I see a direct, a direct link there. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Well, gosh, I just love this idea. Like now I just want to make a card deck. Yeah. I want to play this game very much. Um, and yeah, I'm really fascinated by it. And this is just really an amazing discovery. So f- Damon and I will fly out and we'll make a card deck. It sounds awesome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is amazing. A thousand yeah. white, a thousand blank white cards. That's the name of the game. A, a thousand, thousand blank white yep. cards. Yep. We're totally going to play this game. Oh, this is so fun. I, <laughs> I, it would be really fun to make an FCBM.io box of. Yes. Thousand. Yeah. I, I'm just like imagining I, it'd be interesting to play with. Um, I'd love. I wonder if there's like groups of people online that meet. Yeah, because there doesn't seem to be any like like. I love how loose the rules are. It seems like this kind of card game where it's like any number of people can play. Yeah, it's just this card game. Like, what are the rules? I don't know. Read a card. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Here, let me deal you in. You're right. Oh, are we out? Here, let me grab another stack and put it on the table. 
You're in. You just draw this card right did here. You, here you go. Did you bring a pen? No problem. Here's a crayon. <laughs> Popsicle sticks. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, oh, man. That's so great. Yeah, it really is. I. It's interesting, too. Um, the nature of the game is also like there's nothing about it where it's like originally i was thinking okay like you know the cards are unknown like they're face down right so you don't know what they are but there's nothing about the rules of the game that says you can't mark on the other side of the card sure like it's just like oh well if that's the next card i'm gonna draw i guess i'm gonna get that one who knows you know um (laughs) yeah i don't know it's very interesting i would love to see examples of how other people have designed their games Yes. Yeah. I, I think that this is worth some research. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, um, well, we talked about cards. Do we have a design, a design snack, a design snack? Yeah. So let's see. Um, well, let's just, we'll just kind of look at the, the, the playing cards in particular. Um, yeah. so there are, uh, like classic there are classic sort of designs for playing cards. Um, and uh, I'm just going to find it here. So, um, so the modern, the modern deck, um, the modern deck format, uh, contemporary playing cards are grouped into three broad categories based on the rules they use. There's French, Latin, and Germanic. Latin ah. suits are used in the closely related Spanish and Italian formats. The Swiss German suits are distinct enough to meet merit their own subcategory. Excluding jokers and tarot trumps, the French 52-card deck preserves the number of cards in the original Mamluk deck. While Latin and Germanic decks uh, average fewer, Latin decks usually drop the higher-valued pip cards, while Germanic decks drop the lower-valued ones. Um, Within suits, there are regional or national variations called standard patterns. Because these patterns are in the public domain, this allows multiple card manufacturers to recreate them. The pattern differences are most easily found in the face cards but the number of cards uh in the face cards but the number of cards per deck the use of numeric indices or even minor shape and arrangement differences of the pips can be used to distinguish them so um so most people are probably familiar with the french playing cards so the french playing cards have the four suits of hearts tiles or diamonds clovers and pikes or spades clubs and spades um interestingly the italian so the german uh has hearts bells acorns and leaves Mm. still mostly i think bells its symbol is the most unique from the diamonds it's more round um like more like a circle uh italian has cups coins clubs and swords that is like really similar to tarot decks. Yeah. Um, Spanish has cups, coins, clubs, and swords as well, although the symbology is different. Um, and Swiss German, as opposed to German, has roses, bells, acorns, and shields. And mm, That's um, totally... Oh, that, I can picture all of those things because my grandma was Swiss. Yeah. Like I can picture the style. Yeah. So um, just from a design snack, uh, it's interesting to, I think... I think the sort of the French, the French deck is probably what most Western people, at least in the U.S., are very familiar with. Um, the right there's really a lot of interesting sort of design takes on on this, and I think it's worth looking at if you're kind of just like looking for some inspiration. Um, it's really interesting to look through and see how, like, just looking at if you're looking at. So this is from the um, uh, the playing cards Wikipedia entry and it's in the modern deck formats. Um, and it, there's a nice little table here where it lines up like the different, the different variations and, and how mm. like, uh, you know, hearts. So the German deck, um, the hearts are black or they're kind of, the German deck is interesting. It doesn't have that like classic, like black and white it's, or sorry, black and red. It's got yeah. like the hearts are red, but yeah. the acorns are multicolored yellow and like sort of maroon and green. And oh. the bells are also yellow and, and red and green. Uh, uh-huh. um, and uh, the the leaves are sort of like a spade, but they're green. Um, 
And then and which like, deck was that? That's the German deck. The Italian, yeah, that totally fits. Yeah, the Italian deck. Um, the Italian suits are the sort of the sword is this sort of half circle swoop like a like a rapier kind of um and oftentimes multicolored the blade has three or four colors on it so there's they've lost that or not lost but their their decks are not they're colorful but the suits aren't like divided into two colors like red and black um which is just fascinating to me and the cups are the cups in the Italian deck, like the examples they have on the website are are on the page, are really colorful and ornate. Um, Do they look like chalices? Yeah, they look like chalices. They often have like three or four colors with like yellow highlights and blue, um, maybe some red and some green. Um, there's uh, really like really fascinating how... So the pips are the, if you're looking at a deck of cards, what, what they mean by pips are, um, like if you're looking at a two of clubs, there's two club pips on the, like there's the number two, but then mm-hmm. there's two dots that are in the shape of a, of a, um, a club, mm-hmm. right? And like a One, three two. has three pips and a four has four pips and a five has yeah. five pips, et cetera. So those are the pips. Um, I see. Yeah. And so the arrangement of those pips is depend you know varies depending um you know depending on the yeah like there's they're staggered in odd numbers on on our cards and then they like line up at 90 degree angles on Mm -hmm. even numbers yep yeah it's really um it's pretty interesting how yeah that's so cool yeah so card design is really interesting the the meat and potatoes of how the game plays versus like what's what's actually like laid out on the card the Mm -hmm. way like all of the face cards um can be really interesting like the design of them Um, yes different you know different companies have different artwork for that and there are things that are sometimes preserved and like um i think it's like like one-eyed jacks and suicide kings where it's like this is this reference to a sort of very modern face card where like some of the jacks have only one eye present because they're sort of right. inside profile and yeah. some of the kings are holding a sword that goes kind of butt behind their head but it looks like they're kind of stabbing themselves in the head if you're you know determined to interpret it that way huh. um and so that's oftentimes a reference to like but not all playing cards are going to necessarily represent the face cards that way so um, right you know, and I think that's very interesting how how art and design like interacts with this this classic game. So yeah, um, or this classic this classic I this it's not a game. Like playing cards aren't they're a tool or I guess they're a toy. Yeah, I guess they're a toy. I'm trying to think like what other artifact in the world could be comparable to the versatility of a deck of cards. Dice. Dice. Yeah, dice. Absolutely. Yep. Um. Yeah, dice and cards. Yeah, they, dice come in so many variations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so many sides. Yep. Um. Yeah, I can't think beyond that though. I mean, I'm trying to think like a parallel that's like not necessarily game related. I mean, I guess like yeah, that's why I think of tools. It's like you know a hammer, yeah. like yeah. a hammer. It's like you can use it in so many different contexts, or like a musical instrument, um, right? Where you can play so many different kinds of music and feeling and experience. Anyway, yeah. Um, there's your little design snack for the uh, the end of today. Thanks nom for nom. listening. Nom nom. Okay, everybody. Okay, that was really great. That was so great. Okay. okay. Don't forget to play. Don't forget to play. One thousand blank white cards with your friends. Yes. Don't forget to do it. All right. <laughs> okay. Bye.